0: Welcome to the Daily Gopher podcast. I am your host U Street. This week I'm joined by Andy Gopher Guy 05.
1: Hello everybody. It's a sad day for anybody who uh, who was a big fan of Gopher Athletics, that's for sure. It-
0: is indeed a sad day as the daily gopher broke two hours before the official announcement the university of minnesota has elected to eliminate four sports ending in the fall if there is a season those sports will play but beginning in 2021 they will no longer be on the books those four sports are the men's gymnastics program the men's tennis program and the men's indoor and outdoor track and field programs with the cut to men's gymnastics, just as a sort of general national overview, the, there are now only 13 NCAA Division I men's gymnastics teams. From a financial perspective, the University of Minnesota anticipates a savings of $2 million as a result of these cuts, as well as an annual savings of $2.7 million once all student-athletes who are currently on athletics-based aids have graduated. In addition to the sports cuts, which were also mentioned, there is additional pain for employees in the athletic department. The university announced a personnel cost reduction plan for athletics, which was both in addition to the university's previously implemented furlough and pay reduction plans, and is also happening at the same time as more general furloughs are occurring across the University of Minnesota. Most academic, professional, and personnel employees will be subject to a 10% reduction in appointments. This will supposedly, according to the University of Minnesota, save an additional $1.3 million a year. So if you add all of that up, it's about $4 million in savings. Uh, Andy, what were your general thoughts on on today's news?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think everybody sort of had it in the back of their head that this unfortunately could be an option, especially when when Mark Coyle all along has said, you know, if there's no football, everything's on the table, including a reduction in, in athletic programs. Um, and, you know, un- unfortunately, we got the we got the tip that there was a meeting happening this afternoon and got clarification on exactly what was happening pretty quick after that. And, um, you know, I, it, we, we got the news out there before anybody else did. But, yeah, no, it, it, it's disappointing that, uh, you know, it's, it's come to this. And, you know, in the in the vast pool of, of money, you know, when when you've got Mark Coyle saying that the Gopher athletic program is losing seventy five million dollars this year. Um, you know how much of a drop in the bucket really is another four million crossed over for sports programs. Um, you know I'm sure you'll have plenty of critics who will be able to look into that here in, in the coming time and, and try and decide if if the university really made this decision and it needed to happen um, for for multiple reasons. But uh, you know just on the on the surface, it's just disappointing that uh, 58 Gopher student athletes uh, aren't going to have a place to play. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll be able to compete their 2021 seasons. Obviously, everything is still up in the air that way, but uh, won't have a won't have a place to play come uh, the end of spring.
0: I want to just note once again that Minnesota was eighth in revenue across all Big Ten schools, uh, but prior to the announcement it was in fact fourth in total programs offered, behind only Ohio State University. Michigan and Penn State. Part of the reason for that disparity has been that the University of Minnesota for a very long time has been a champion of the so-called non-revenue sports. And one of the points that Andy mentioned that I think every member of the NCAA is going to have to begin to grapple with is if football and basketball, which we'll get into in a second, as well as for at least some schools who are profitable in it, a given third sport, at Minnesota happens to be men's hockey. Uh, in If you're not a profitable sport at the university level, given the university financial outlook, which, by the way, in general, is incredibly bad right now. There are legitimate doomsday scenarios floating around in higher education about the closure of actual universities, not necessarily land-grant universities, but smaller colleges and universities. So it shouldn't be surprising that big universities are feeling the pain as well. If football and basketball and and those revenue sports are not going, there are major immediate financial shortfalls, especially for institutions that often are relied to be self-financing. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing this right now. As I mentioned, there's a question, certainly, obviously, as we know about whether football will be played in the fall. I remain pessimistic on this. But we also had some new news for hockey with a likely allusion to basketball. Andy, do you want to fill us in?
1: yeah just you know we we the uh, the 11 college hockey conferences put out a joint statement today basically saying well the uh, the college hockey season which was supposed to be starting women starting here in uh, 2 weeks from tomorrow actually uh, and the men were supposed to start on October 3rd that has now been officially postponed um they they stay indefinitely the NCHC Um, which is North Dakota, St. Cloud, UMD, etc., has come out and said they're hoping to start um, at the late November period, and I think that sort of coincides with what we're hearing. Um, You know, college basketball is looking to hopefully try and start things right around Thanksgiving as well, uh, using the probable opportunity of a pseudo-bubble with uh, any of the schools that still do have students on campus. Those students all leaving by thanksgiving break and being able to limit lockdown campus to athletes only um and being able to hopefully uh you know provide a a bubble environment for them and and be able to put things uh put sports going ahead without worrying about other effects um you know some of the other big Bigger schools, it sounds like it, in hockey you're trying to try and match up the basketball and the hockey schedule, the Big Ten being one of them. So I think they'd like to try and potentially play starting at the same time, so that Thanksgiving weekend date. Um, but it, officially, there will be no college hockey till some point in late November. Um, you know, some of the schools, the Ivy League schools, have already said they're not coming back till January 1st at the earliest. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens but officially college hockey will be delayed six to eight weeks at a minimum um and one would expect college basketball is looking at at least a two or three week delay from early november to, to late november at, at its time frame as well so um with, with those schools getting delayed i think you know people are it sounds like people are being more confident that that uh, those seasons will get played Uh, It just will look a lot differently. Uh, Going along with that, uh, the University of Minnesota officially informed both men's and women's hockey season ticket holders today that there will be no season tickets for the uh for the upcoming season uh they're basically planning on playing in front of no crowd whatsoever or very very limited crowds if uh if the state of minnesota ends up changing its policy a little bit right now uh the state of minnesota only allows 250 people uh at an indoor event so by the time you get the teams the coaching staffs the trainers etc cetera, etc cetera, you would only would only be able to have a crowd of about 50 people 100 people tops so um but the university made that official today so they are losing out on you know as we're talking about losing out on revenue that's uh all the all the hockey revenue for for season tickets now is officially not coming in in 2021 along with football and one would assume uh if that letter has not been sent out it'll be sent out pretty soon for for basketball well so if you think you know your your three money making programs in ticket sales all are not going to be bringing in any money in ticket sales in 2021
0: absolutely for those who don't know me i happen to historically be quite a big proponent of non-revenue sports even though they are in fact non-revenue sports However, one of the things that I have noticed, at least in recent discourse on this particular decision, especially from certain online forums, is the confusion as to why all of the non-revenue sports were canceled were men's sports, and generally one of the follow-ons for that is both why weren't women's sports canceled, and then usually, but not always, but far too often, something super misogynistic. So I'm going to just note here's the reason, at least according to the University of Minnesota, which is, and the we in this is referring to the University of Minnesota. Once we determined that we simply are no longer able to sustain 25 sports financially, we reviewed our overall sports offerings with an eye towards a sports sponsorship model that would provide sustainable, competitive, and equitable participation opportunities for our remaining programs. Due to recent shifts in our female and male undergraduate demographics, we also needed to take steps to ensure compliance with our commitment to provide gender-equitable participation opportunities for our students consistent with federal law requirements. We also consider community impact, local and national interest, competitiveness, and sports sponsorship at the Big Ten and NCAA Division I levels. The decision to eliminate four men's sports combined with roster adjustments in women's programs will result in female and male participation numbers that closely align with our undergraduate campus enrollment percentages, which is approximately 54% female and 46% male. By having our programs offerings mirror our changing student population, the university will be ensuring that we are providing full, effective, and equitable participation opportunities for female and male student athletes. I don't know if I'm required to note this, but I am not a lawyer. I'm definitely, even if I was a lawyer, would not be a Title IX lawyer. So I, when none of this is referring to legal advice. This is our attempt to sort of parse This statement, But Andy, and please check me if I'm wrong here, I think there are a couple interesting points here. The first one is that it's very clear, at least as far as the university's legal compliance team is concerned, that removing women's programs was probably out of the cards, at least for this first cut. The second bit is that it doesn't seem necessarily that women's programs were completely spared from this. While it's the case that for men's sports were eliminated entirely, the nature of roster adjustments in women's programs is not officially laid out. But one might suspect that that would lead to somewhat reduced scholarship money or other reduced funds. The third bit that I want to highlight is community impact and competitiveness. So as I mentioned at the top, there are only 13 men's gymnastics programs in the NCAA. It's possible there might be one or two others, but to our knowledge, there are only 13. That is uh, too few schools if we're just gonna be blatantly honest, to sustain actual real competition. And as a consequence with the elimination both by Minnesota as well as by Iowa, I would assume that men's gymnastics as a sport of higher education is generally done. The other programs that were eliminated do not unfortunately, and I don't say this out of a like stamp on the grave thing, but unfortunately do not in fact receive a whole lot of interest from the university community at large. Andy, you can delve into this a little bit more, but one of the things we've noticed running a blog that is devoted to University of Minnesota sports, and we are passionate about each and every University of Minnesota sport, is that every time we run an article about any sport that is not one of our big three, this would be men's basketball, football, of course, and men's hockey, there is a noticeable drop-off in engagement. If we're being very honest, there is a notable, noticeable drop-off in engagement for anything that is not about football. That's in some sense as it should be. Football is king in college athletics. But it does suggest that if you are a non-revenue sport, particularly if you are a non-revenue men's sport on any campus for which there is football and or for which there are questions about Title IX compliance, I think you should be realistically very worried right now. And the reason why I think you should be realistically very worried right now is you are always red on the ledger. It always costs money. And I could replace each and every scholarship on every non-revenue by an actual paying student that would derive benefit from the university. The notion that there is obvious benefits for the University of Minnesota having any team outside of football and basketball from a cost perspective and men's hockey at the University of Minnesota uh, is, at least budgetarily speaking, not true. There are clearly indirect benefits for having lots of sports. Indeed, that's part of the reason why the university had so many. But there at some point was going to come, if nothing had changed in the COVID environment, a situation where the university's revenue, which at the outset we mentioned was only eighth in the Big Ten, was not going to be able to sustainably support the number of sports that it was offering. And I think that's what you saw today. Andy, your view?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it it's, it's one of those tough you know, tough situations that everybody's in. And, and as you said, you know, it, unfortunately, it, at some point, the the numbers just don't match up. And, and you know, as you said, we, Minnesota and Iowa are the two, two major Power 5 schools and the two Big Ten schools that have announced these cuts immediately. Um, I in no way do think they're going to be the last between now and, let's just say, next spring. Um, you know when you look at the, when you look at the total of programs that that the other Big Ten schools are operating. Uh, you know just to, just to suggest what we, we lost today. Obviously, men's gymnastics. Um, you know there were fifteen teams two weeks ago. Now that Minnesota and Iowa are out, they're down to thirteen. Uh, but a good chunk of the rest of the men's gymnastics schools are in the Big Ten. Uh, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State are basically you know, half, if not two thirds of the remaining schools in the country that have men's gymnastics programs. Um, so following the lead of Minnesota and Iowa, you've got to think that a lot of those other programs potentially may be on the chopping block. Um, you know, tennis coming into, coming into the fall, there were 12 programs, uh, that did not have, uh, or that did play men's tennis in the Big Ten. Maryland and Rutgers were the only two that did not. Now Minnesota and Iowa have both cut their programs down to 10. So, um, you know, that that's a significant hit. Um, for, for track and field, it's a little bit different. Um, Northwestern is the only other team in the Big Ten that didn't have both an indoor and outdoor men's track and field team. Uh, Maryland doesn't have an indoor team, but they do have an outdoor team. Um, but now Minnesota will will join those schools. Um, in Iowa, earlier this year, cut men's swimming and diving. Um, you know, that's another one that I think it's it's it, you could have made an, an interesting argument for that program. I think, you know, University of Minnesota having a, a world-class facility again probably helps in that. But, but that's some of the other things that you know are interesting that makes enough sense. You know, they're cutting the men's track and field team right after they finished renovating their brand new track and field facility uh, back behind. Uh, the the football practice fields and and siebert field and, and things like that um you know minnesota their indoor tennis facility is is one of the better in the big 10 and and granted they can uh you know rent that out for for other private rentals and things like that but you know it, it's not like you're losing costs into into facilities you have nice facilities for these programs that unfortunately uh no longer are going to be played at the university of minnesota
0: absolutely I also think going forward, as Andy mentioned, there are a lot of schools that have not yet made these decisions. One possible reason why they have not made these decisions is that they have decided to take a more reactive approach to their budget. I don't Necessarily know if the decision by the University of Minnesota is a correct one today. I am both not an accountant and privy to the University of Minnesota's finances, but also there is simply plenty of just general uncertainty about the overall economic picture that the University of Minnesota, as well as every other major Division I school, is facing. There have been recent signs, and by recent signs I mean from people who have sources that we believe are real, as opposed to sources that are being made up for social media clout, or I guess lack thereof, since it's a bit strange to consistently make up random sources, that football may begin to restart. Whether or not this leads to a massive revenue injection is unclear but obviously if football were to be played there would be some level of injection Andy in your view is there at the moment anything that makes you more optimistic than you were the last time we asked this question on a podcast
1: well about uh, football yeah I mean I I think the the prominence of the immediate short-term testing is at least a, a positive trend in the right direction now I mean we were if anybody pays attention to our Twitter feed, we've been making fun of the people who have been saying that, you know, the white house is getting directly involved and, and things like that. A a certain Twitter feed out of Ohio has been very prominent in, in pushing things. Um, but you know, as we saw, Nicole Arabak and the athletic is now basically quoting a source saying things could be moving in the right direction for a potential late October, early November start. Um, but, you know, like you said, for every positive you hear, you look at Wisconsin and you look at what's happening in other schools. Wisconsin had to take a immediate two week shutdown of its football and its hockey practice programs, uh, because they now have fifty six athletes that have tested positive in the last week um madison is a complete train wreck covid wise right now uh the the dane county public health department has basically said if you live or work downtown madison you should just assume you've been exposed to covid you should check yourself for symptoms it's that prevalent on campus in madison right now um Penn State just had a shutdown of their program. They just had a spike in cases as well. So, you know, for every for every positive trend, there's a there's a negative trend as well. Um, you know, as we've seen across the country, a lot of the other schools seem to be trying to plow right through. Uh, several several schools will be playing this weekend, but you've also had four or five games, including a fairly marquee one between TCU and SMU, indefinitely postponed uh, because TCU had a significant COVID outbreak. So. I think, I mean, just from a financial standpoint, these schools are looking to do anything they can because they're realizing that the heartache and the frustration and the austerity is going to get worse and worse and worse if they cannot play football. Um, the question is going to be what's going to be the turning point. Is it going to be enough daily testing to, to get that implemented at all fourteen schools that some that they can go along with it? Is it gonna be making sure that contract tracing is basically working flawlessly so that they can make sure that if any other positive cases come up they can try and nip it in the bud as fast as possible. I, I don't think we have a clear answer on that because we're hearing different things from different sources depending upon what's your point of view and what's your um you know, status is in the game, say I guess to say. Uh, But I think I'm more positive that we'll have football than I was two weeks ago, but I wouldn't say I'm over a 50-50 shot at this point, if that makes sense.
0: Well, it definitely makes sense. The coin flip, I think, is actually quite high. I am still wildly skeptical that football will occur, in part for the negative trends that you have mentioned. I just don't currently see changing. But there's another reason, and incidentally I've made this point before uh, on the blog and in some previous podcasts, but since we are at the point of speculation, I'd like to speculate briefly with you, Andy, here about another elephant in the room, as it were, about the idea of cutting non-revenue sports that actually has nothing to do with COVID, but something else, well, nothing to do with COVID in terms of not playing football, but perhaps something to do with COVID about what it's meant for athlete activism. The uh, Let Us Play movement, the We Are United movement, one of which seems to be a bit of an astroturf, but the other, the We Are United movement, and a variety of the other demonstrations that have come from football players, as well as more recently professional sports athletes, uh, using their power to attempt to change aspects of the game. It is, for no one listening to this podcast, surprising to know that Football players and basketball players generate a sizable amount of revenue for universities and are in no way compensated fairly, if by fairly we would mean what they might expect to earn on an open market. The general reason for the trade in exchange of value is that you receive a scholarship and that you are therefore able to pay for your education. While it is certainly the case that there are many people who are unable to pay for their educations without the access that is provided to them by football scholarships, the practical reality of many of these players is that they're not actually able to get a real education. Indeed, if you look at the National Labor Review complaint that was made by, at the time, students at Northwestern that were attempting to unionize the football program, they described a very rigid, structured life that was completely dominated by Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald, but Pat Fitzgerald is true of any football coach anywhere. This suggests that the notion of being able to kind of pursue whatever education they wanted is a little bit challenging. From a University of Minnesota perspective, there's been plenty of athletes over the years who have noted that there is a real challenge attempting to both be a high-quality student and a high-quality athlete. This tension is only further exacerbated by the fact that only one of those particular activities is paying you to be there in some sense, and it's not the education. As Cardell Jones always notes, we aren't here to play school. Going forward, and I think a lot of the discussions that are being made about what you would need to do to make it safe for athletes who are students, and I want to make that very clear, who are currently students, to play requires them looking an awful lot like professional athletes and requires a level of control over them that is extensive, even relative to students in general. We have, of course, seen at universities certain students being expelled for violating COVID restrictions, but no student has been forced to stay in a specific bubble and never being able to leave or, depending on where a bubble would be, have to move to an entirely different part of the country and only stay within your team, which is what's true at the professional level. Because they are students, it's also not necessarily clear how you could actually demand that any individual do that. And the legal liability of some athlete catching COVID and dying, which, God forbid, is indeed a possibility if one catches this disease, though very fortunately a substantially lower risk at the age group of most college athletes, perhaps means that we can't necessarily think of them as students anymore. But if we stop thinking of them as students, then i think we begin to have to reckon with the notion that they are workers and that they are employees and employees get paid and why i bring all this up isn't necessarily football and basketball but it's to the non-revenue sports because it's also not obvious to me how you can say that athletes who play football deserve to be paid but not athletes generally as a class Because if the only argument as to why those athletes deserve to make money is because their sports see a profit, that strikes me as a fairly easy accounting thing to get around, and one that might draw the ire of general labor law within the United States—again, not a labor lawyer, though I do know a few— that would therefore mean that if you are, for example, a woman's tennis player, that you deserve to in some way be compensated for your effort. And I think if that is true, if that moves through, an implication of that is that non-revenue sports across the board are eliminated. This is not a reason, incidentally, that I think one should be opposed, or for, for that matter, paying college athletes, but I do think it's a potential implication, and one of the results of the University of Minnesota's decision today seems to also be along a line, perhaps, that they, as an institution, are beginning to reckon with the possibility that that may occur in the nearer future, and as a result, might be trying to get rid of some sports that maybe they've wanted to get rid of for a while but didn't have an opportunity, and maybe also. were looking at the notion that in the future these would be sports that they would not want to pay Andy do you have thoughts on that
1: yeah you know I mean you can't you can't rule it out and uh you know I think I I think it's a definite possibility I think it's you know something that they maybe were grappling with and are, are looking for a, a potential easier way out to explain that rather than to discuss in detail what you just did um, you know, undoubtedly, I think we'll probably get an answer eventually as, as just because we'll see what happens as, as college athletics evolve over the next three to five years. Um, cause change is coming. That is, that is no doubt. The question will be to what extent and, uh, and how it will affect things equally. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, it all goes back to the fact of, you know, we've seen Iowa and Minnesota make these changes. I I can't imagine that they will be the last schools in the Big Ten or any of the other Power Five conferences to do this uh, anytime soon. You know, well, actually, I mean, Stanford did this two months ago and cut 12 schools or 12 programs. Um you know, so the thing is, is, is this is going to be something that schools are going to have to grapple with as, as all this various legislation, all this pay to play things work their way through the NCAA works their way through Congress. You know, um, everybody has a different opinion. Everybody has a different hand in the game and, and it it's not going to be a smooth process between now and when everything finally sort of comes to an head. But, um, I, I do think, that more of these non-revenue sports probably are going to end up being uh, unfortunate casualties in the deal.
0: Absolutely. And therefore, we unfortunately close a very depressing podcast. But we are, of course, very happy and optimistic that you are listening and are working through these issues with us. As per always, uh, stay close to The Daily Gopher for all your Gopher news and updates. And with that, Sky Yuma row the boat. Go Gophers. Go Gophers. Rove the boat.